You may be seated. Well, today, um, uh, despite what was printed in the uh, in the e news and printed in your bulletins, we are we are taking a one week break from our sermon series through Ephesians, and there's there's two reasons why, and I. I'm, I apologize for not realizing this until later in the week after everything had been printed and sent out. But um, sometimes in a long sermon series like we tend to have here, um, sometimes looking ahead at the calendar, the church calendar, and how Sundays are going to fall combined with a various you know, travel schedule and those sorts of things, I realize that I need to, to take a break from a series for a Sunday or two to have things fall the way they need to fall. And, and this is one of those Sundays where I, I need to preach a, a non-Ephesians sermon so that some of the passages that I think are really, really important to preach to you on consecutive Sundays are, are falling in that, in that way, especially with a trip to Israel that I'm leading with, with a couple of dozen of you as well as Palm Sunday and Easter coming up. So a one-week break for that. But the second reason is because if you looked ahead at the, what the text that's printed in your bulletin for today, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, then you may have noticed that, that Paul is, is in, opens chapter 5 with some very clear and important teaching on, on sexual sin and sexual immorality. And so I thought also wise to, to let you all know, okay, that's, that's what will be next Sunday. And so, you know, so parents, you know, just be aware of that. Okay, that's, that's going to be the topic next, next Sunday. And, uh, and certainly I ask, you know, request that you be praying for me as I, you know, finish preparing that sermon. And um, I think it's certainly a very, it's always an important topic, but I think in this, in our time and place, it's, it's certainly, certainly important. So today we're looking at just one verse. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Just one verse, but it's certainly a verse that can handle its own sermon. In fact, it's a verse that, that could probably handle a short sermon series. But we're just going to give it one sermon. And uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to read the whole passage from, from Matthew uh, 16, verse 13, down to verse 20, in order to give us this, the context of, of, of one of the great moments in um, Jesus' ministry. Because this is the occasion of Peter's great confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. And it's upon this very confession that, that Jesus has and continues and will build his church including this church. And before we look at this text, I want to ask you to think for a moment. Do, do you know our church's mission statement? Our church's mission statement is we exist to make disciples who love Christ, his word, and his church through the ordinary means of grace. Now, as you hear that, what, what may immediately jump off the page to you, off the screen to you, is, is the ordinary means of grace, but, but if you've been around this church for some time, you're familiar of what that is. The, the ordinary means of grace are, are, are the ordinary ways in which God you know, grows and builds his church. The ordinary means of grace, the, the faithful preaching of God's word, a dedication to prayer, a commitment to, to faithful worship, which, which faithful biblical worship, which includes the, the faithful administration of the sacraments of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, you, you can learn a lot about a church you know, from looking at its mission statement. And, and, and I, I like this one. I think this is a good mission statement. But I want you to, to listen again to it, especially that first part. We exist to make disciples 
who love Christ and his word and his church. And for the purpose of this sermon, I, I want to ask you to, to think about that, especially that third one about the church. Don't you think, wrestle with this question. This will be the question of the day. Do, do you love the church? Not do you tolerate it. Not, not, not do you, okay, Richard, yes, it's important. Do you love the church? See, I believe if we understand what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, it will help us grow in valuing, cherishing, and, and loving the church the way we ought to love the church. So with that said, hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love for our good. And, and looking at verse 18, we're going to look at it under three headings. First, we'll see this verse tells us that the church belongs to Jesus. The church's foundation is Jesus. And the church's success depends on Jesus. So the church belongs to Jesus, the church's foundation is Jesus, and the church's success depends on Jesus. And the more we understand each of these three statements, I think the more that we will, we will grow in, in our love for the church. And so first, the church belongs to Jesus. And so looking at verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so do you see that, that Jesus says that I will build my church? He doesn't say I will build a church. He doesn't say I will build the church. But he's very clear, I will build my church. See, right there, Jesus makes it very clear that, that he did not come to, to merely save you know, isolated individual people. Now, it is true that Jesus does save us one by one. He, he calls us to himself each one by one. He calls us each by name and, and praise God that he does. But notice that Jesus came to build his church. That he came to, to seek and to save and to sanctify and to unite and to bind his sheep together into a new kingdom, a new family into a supernatural community that he calls the church. I mean, that's something we've been learning about in, in the first half of Ephesians. And, and we're, we're going to see a couple of passages from Ephesians show up in, in the sermon today. 
But think about this. The church belongs to Jesus. Have you ever really thought about that? Have you ever thought about what, what that means? What, what that says about the church? What that says about the church's value that the church belongs to Christ? Do you know that? That, that, that ownership has a lot to do with the value of an object. It has a lot to do with it. Okay, for example... Okay, this, this, this is, I mean, it's a pretty normal Bible, but it's a nice Bible. It's got the nice, uh, whatever, goat skin cover on it, so it's going to last a long time. And so, you know, if you're, but, but it's a pretty normal Bible, and it's my Bible. And if, now, and, and if you, if, you know, if you just saw this Bible, and you were trying to think, okay, I wonder, you're thinking about how much this Bible's worth, you know, you may think, well, you know, $50, $100, you know, something like that. But that's just because it's my Bible. But, but what, if, what if I told you, hey, this is not just my Bible. This, Bible. this Bible belonged to George Washington. Or this Bible belonged to Abraham Lincoln. Or this Bible belonged to John Calvin. You know, what would you think about the, the value of the Bible? Right? It, w- it would radically increase, right, if it's not just... Some nobody like me, but if it's someone that you know, someone famous, someone important, all of a sudden now it's worth a lot. Why? Because the value of the object increases substantially because of the one who owns it. So that's no small thing for us to realize that the church belongs to Jesus. Do you see? Do you realize what that says about how how valuable and, and precious the church is. How valuable and precious and special even this church is. So let me ask you, do you love the church? Like I said, that's the question of the day. It'll, it'll keep coming up, I'm sure. Do you love the church? See, I, and I hope you do, because you should, because the church belongs to Jesus. He gave himself to purchase the church with his own blood. Listen to what we read in Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he, Christ, obtained with his own blood. Or where we're headed in Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 32, listen to this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That Christ so loved the church, that she was so valuable and precious to him, that he gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her because she's his bride. 
I, th- I think we lose sight of that sometimes. Whenever we, we look around at the church, we, we get frustrated with this person or that person or this decision or that decision. We get frustrated, we get bought, and we lose sight of the fact that the church is the bride of Christ. That Jesus loves the church. The church belongs to him. And, and that fails to impact the way we think about the church. That fails to impact the way we speak about the church. Listen to how Pastor Joel Beakey put it. Cherishing the church as the purchased bride of Christ doesn't negate all criticism of the church. But healthy criticism, which is based on scripture, is measured out with sorrow and pain. Unhealthy criticism is sour and destructive and is wholly subjective. It was my idea, my opinion, this didn't go how I wanted it to go. Men who love their wives can take a great deal of criticism against themselves, but they do not take kindly to unkind comments directed against their brides. Similarly, Jesus Christ does not approve of us when we thoughtlessly criticize his bride. And I would even add, or take her for granted. So, so what do you think about the church? Do, do you cherish her as Jesus does? You know, do you love the church? Do you not merely able, are you not merely able to identify her weaknesses? Everyone can do that, but do you, do you weep over her weaknesses? Do you love the church? Where you should, because she belongs to Christ. The second heading, the church's foundation is Jesus. So look again at Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now there's a lot more that could be said here, but for our purposes this morning, when Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, he's not referring to Peter. You know, Peter, Peter's name you know, means rock, but the, the Greek word translated rock in verse 18 is different from the Greek word translated Peter. That the two words do sound similar, so there's a bit of a wordplay here in the Greek, but Peter's not the rock on which Jesus will build his church. Rather, Jesus is referring to Peter's confession from a few verses earlier. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, that's the rock on which Jesus built and is building and will continue to build his church. It's the rock-solid foundation of of Jesus' own identity and his office and his saving work as the divine son of God, the, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The church's foundation is is Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. This is why it's so important for us to understand that when we're talking about the gospel, the good news of the gospel, yes, it, yes, it includes, it includes Christ died on the cross for our sins. Died, Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. It's so important that we clarify and that we understand that, that we're not saved by our, our own good works. That we're not saved by having our good deeds 
try to outweigh our bad deeds and hoping that God will grade on a curve and, and let us into heaven because our good outweighs our bad. It's so important that we understand that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But it's also important that we understand that the gospel is so much more, the good news of the gospel is so much more than merely Christ died so that our sins could be forgiven. Now that's wonderful. We need our sins forgiven. We need to be washed clean in his blood. But friends, what I would say is that, that that's not the full extent of the good news of the gospel. Yes, praise God, when we trust in Christ, our sins are canceled. They're removed from us as far as the east is from the west. But praise God that Jesus also lived a perfect, righteous, obedient life. And when we trust in him, it's not just that our sin debt is paid, and it is. But praise God that we're also, we're credited with Jesus' righteousness. Because our problem is not just that we are sinners. Our problem is also that we don't have righteousness in and of ourselves. And so, we, yes, we need to be washed clean, but we also need to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. And praise God that when we trust in Christ, not only are we washed clean, not only are we clothed in his righteousness, but the person of the Holy Spirit indwells us. That we are born again to a living hope. That the old is gone, the new has come. We're new creations. That, that our old hearts of stone are removed and now there's hearts of flesh. That we are now enabled to, to walk in newness of life. The church's foundation is Christ, his identity, his office, his saving work on our behalf. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Well, remember what we looked at for several weeks in Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, be your fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, that? the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ. Right? We, we can be so tempted uh, to, to try to, to, to pretend as if, to live as if, to build churches and, and ministry structures and organizations as if the foundation was something else. That, I mean, that many churches can be tempted to, to, to build, to make the foundation of their church being the, the personality of the pastor or the public gifts of the pastor. Now, I know that's not one you guys struggle with and, uh, because of the, the lack of those gifts, but, but it can be tempting for so many to make the personality and the gifts, the public gifts of the pastor to be the foundation of the church. Friends, don't ever do that. It will fail you. I will fail you. I'll let you down. That's not, I am not a good foundation. Christ is the foundation. It can be so tempting for, for churches. I think a church is especially tempting for churches in this part of Houston to attempt to make the community of people, the people they're friends with, the foundation of the church. See, I, I think most people in Houston choose the church they choose simply because of who else is there. 
and because they look like them, because they're friends. Community is important. Fellowship's important. But, but don't make the biblical community the foundation of the church. It'll ultimately fail you. You know, I prayed in the pastoral prayer for many of our, many of our ministries and our ministry programs. And, and I love them and I'm so thankful for them and we need them. But I'll tell you, friends, that, that a pet program or a pet cause, something that we're passionate about, even wonderful ministry programs like Sunday school, children's ministry, youth ministry, small groups, ESL, whatever it is, they're all great, they're all needed, but don't attempt to make them the foundation of the church. As wonderful as they are, they'll make a terrible foundation. They will fail you. You know, many of you, I mean, if you've been around here for some time, you know the, the, the story and the history of, of this place and of this property and the life of the church. It's incredible. And I delight to retell that story each and every uh, new members class. We, I, we tell that story over and over and over again. It highlights, you know, how thankful we are for how God has been faithful to this church. He's been so much more faithful to us than, than we have been to him or that we could be to him. But do not make the, the building or the location the foundation of the church. It's great to have a building. It's, it's so wonderful to have a, a wonderful location. But it will never serve as, as a good and worthy foundation for the church. See, all of these potential alternative foundations are important. But, but they're all faulty. And, and we know in Houston, about we know about faulty foundations, don't we? I mean, the, the foundations, they move, and they eventually crack. They fail us. The church is founded on Christ, and he will not fail us. R remember the old hymn, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life, he died. Right? The church belongs to Jesus. He's her one foundation. And here's the third heading. The church's success depends on Jesus. Now think about that. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? The church's success depends on Jesus. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on our elders or our deacons, on our ministry staff. It doesn't depend on you. The church's success depends on Jesus. Now, we ought to try to be as faithful as we can. Now, we ought to seek to be as faithful as we can and, and biblical as we can in, in our preaching, in our worship, in our form of church government, in all of our ministries of discipleship here in our church, in all of our ministries of outreach and mission around the city and around the world but we need to not forget that it's Jesus who builds his church the success of the church depends on him look again at Matthew 16 18 and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I will build my church now think about how how crazy that must have sounded to, to the disciples standing around that day 2,000 years ago, you know, some, some fishermen, tax collectors, some other 
you know, seemingly random guys, and they hear Jesus say this, and perhaps they're thinking, but Jesus, are you sure? I mean, look at us. Do you not know us after these, all these years? But I will build my church. The church's success depends on Jesus. And praise God, that's the case. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 54, um, is addressing one of the famous statements from the Apostles' Creed and asks, what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Church? That out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God, by His Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself to everlasting life, a chosen communion in the unity of the true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member of the same. Now think about that. From the beginning to the end of the world, Jesus gathers and defends and preserves for himself his church. And the gates of hell, the world, the flesh, the devil cannot, will not stop Jesus from building his church. You see, Jesus does not say, I will try to build my church, or I, I hope I'm able to build my church. He says, no, I will build my church. I created the heavens and the earth. I've, I called the world from nothing by my own power. But I, the divine Son of God, will build my church. I will gather my people. I will bring all of my people all of the way home to be with, with me, my Father, the Spirit, all of our people together in heaven for eternity. I mean, it may have seemed a, a far-fetched and even crazy idea to the disciples 2,000 years ago. But Jesus did build his church. And he's still building his church. Right throughout the centuries, the church at times has seemed likely to be overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the powers of darkness. But the church has not only survived, but it's grown. To the point to where now there are more followers of Christ in more places around the world than ever before. See, the church may at times seem to stagger. It may seem to stagger. It may seem to be faltering. It may seem so weak. But ultimately, the church will never fail because Jesus guarantees her success. Listen to how the old pastor J.C. Ryle put it. Nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned, but the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands and then pass away. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in his turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning and yet is not consumed. And yet, the church remains under construction today. Right? Our, our, church, our church is, I think, approaching 32 years old, but it's still very much under construction. Very much a work in progress and it will be until Jesus returns or, or calls us all home. And I don't know how long you've been here at our church, but, but even if this is your first Sunday, you can probably look around the room and, you, and you've, you can already identify many individuals who are still very much works in progress. 
including this guy. We can see so many imperfect, unfinished, flawed, sinful people. Because you know what? That's true of this church, and that's true of every church. See, if at any time we ever think that we're going to find something better than, than a messy, under-construction church, then realize you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I mean, think about, think about what we've already covered recently in Ephesians 4. Think about how Paul opened that chapter, addressing the church. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he begins with a list of things that, will, that a church will only need if it's going to be hard to live with one another. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing of one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what a church has to remember. That's what has to mark our, our mindset as we, as we interact with one another. That, yeah, we see things that aren't right. We see people who are still a work in progress. And we need to be reminded that we ourselves are still a work in progress. And just as Christ, praise God, has patience with us, has a long-term view of us, that we need to have a long-term view of one another. That we need to have a long-term view of, of, of the church. See, 500 years ago, John Calvin said that what the church needs is the authority of preaching, the rule of elders, the compassion of deacons, and the communion of saints to assist, teach, and nurture us. And what I would say, friends, this is still very true today. We need all of these things, and we seek to be as faithful as possible, even in a church that is still very much a, a work in progress. So let me ask you one more time, do you love the church? I hope you do. I hope you won't ever stop. The church belongs to Christ, he's her foundation, and he will never let her fail because the success depends on him. Or as Puritan Richard Sibbs puts it, Christ is the king of his church, and the church is the greatest queen in the world. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, as you seek to grow in grace, as you seek to mature spiritually, as you seek to follow Christ, may you always love, cherish, and serve the church for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Father, please, impress these truths upon our hearts today. May we, may we know, may we believe, may we rest in the, the truth that the church belongs to Christ. The church's foundation is Christ, and the church's success depends on Christ. May we be all the more committed to pray faithfully and to serve faithfully. May we ask this in Jesus' name.